guys, the preparation on this show was top notch. This is why I'm a donator. Welcome to Book Twitter. Two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snett. And we should probably address that we are uh, we're officially out of the summer of podcasting, the lazy summer of podcasting. Yeah. It's, what are we calling? Are we naming all the seasons now? Or no, I don't know. We'd one? have to come up with something really cool. But can I tell you that we ended that in the most spectacular fashion? <laughs> so we reviewed like a book and like two really short, basically stories, all the summer long. And then the last episode, what did we do? Nothing. <laughs> we we were so even... fucking lazy. We didn't even do an episode last week. Yeah, the, the the last episode that was recorded was just us hanging around talking in the living room, which was great. Yep. Um, and then after that, we just skipped a whole week. <laughs> yeah, so uh, that, that shit's over, though, right? We're back to reviewing books, like, full-time? <clears throat> to be fair, though, the reason that um, we didn't put up an episode this past week was uh, we went so fucking crazy in uh, September putting up episodes that, uh, that our hosting has an upload limit. For how much uh, how much files we can upload? How in much a month. awesome? How much awesome it. can be put up in the internet uh, each month? And we hit that like a week ahead of time because of how many episodes we put out. So if we had more money, I'm thinking maybe we could put up more episodes. Is all I'm there's, saying. There's there's a way that we can just pay more and and have more room so that never ever happens again. Absolutely. If only there was a way. We'll have to figure out a way to to elicit some funds somehow to do that. Yeah, internet bagging is 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 kind of in right now. So it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Seriously, I should like break a leg and start a GoFundMe. <laughs> you could. I mean, that's. Oh, can we, can we just do a podcast where we refuse GoFundMe's? <laughs> All right, I think you're onto something. But can you just pretend you broke a leg, or do you really want to go through with? Well, I don't want to like false advertise. All right. I have to break my leg doing something really fucking cool, though. We're gonna have to come up with something. All right. I, All right. I mean, <laughs> okay. Enough of that. So we apologize for not having an episode last week. Um, we are going to budget our megabytes. That's what they're called, right? Megabytes? Megarams. Megarams, the gigabits, a little better um, to try to keep that from happening. But we did talk about doing more than four episodes a month, so we'll see how that how that evens out. But at any rate, welcome to the fall of reading or whatever the hell we're <laughs> going to call it. This is uh, so special that we're returning to this. We actually have a special guest this evening who is going to help us review um, a kind of big deal book. That's right. A big deal guest for a big deal book. Brandon Teets. Oh, we don't have his bio ready, do we? We'll just make it. That's, that's, that's fine. You know, I authored a few <laughs> things. Big fucking deal. Oh, right. man. Here this it is, goes. This is poor planning. Here's the problem. We think of Brandon as a friend. Yeah. And right, an author. Let's not sell him short in the writing category. Did he write something? <laughs> you know, one or two things. We reviewed. We reviewed I'm, only, I'm only the anthology winner of Burnt Tongues. Whatever. It's not a big deal. Let's not even talk about it. Oh, man. There's a lot of editing to do. And <laughs> so, modest. Yes, yes, yes. Brandon Teets is the author of Out of Touch and Good Sex, Great Prayers, which we reviewed here and gave a very favorable review to, although that's not included in his bio. His short stories have been widely published with work appearing in Warmed and Bound, Amsterdam If You Do, which is a great title, Spark, a Creative Anthology, Volume 2, Solar Sidal Tendencies, and the Chuck Palahniuk Anthology, Burnt Tongues, for which Brandon was the um, anthology winner 
as he mentioned to us moments ago, reminding us. Teets currently serves as a contributor for LitReactor.com. He lives and works in Kansas City, Missouri, and hangs out on the booked podcast from time to time, but only when we have to review special big books. Brandon, welcome back. Thank you, sir. There you go. All right. So you guys, <laughs> Brandon was on as recently as God. When did we do Gray? Was that like? It feels like it was just a couple months ago. Was it, it just really a couple does months? Feel ago? like less than that, even. Yeah. It so was it was recent. before the lazy summer. Oh, didn't that take us into the lazy summer podcasting? All right. So according to the internet, according to the internet of um, our list of episodes, we did Gray June thirtieth. But yeah, so it had to. And then after that, it was Paul Tremblay and Rob Hart are the only things besides like interludes. So that did kick off the Lazy Summer podcasting. That's very, very cool. But um, he did such a good job. <laughs> Brandon's bookending the Lazy Summer of podcasting. Love it. Love that yeah. Paul Tremblay book. Holy God, Dude, is that right? not a fucking amazing book? Somebody had actually, um, a Facebook group I belong in, someone had asked what like the best book we read this year was. And I didn't even have to think about it. That was that was my, my selection. So, Wow, dude. That's yep. good. It is a good book. So, but that's not what we're here today to talk about. Um, <laughs> Brandon, uh, if I remember correctly, the reason that you're co co um, reviewing this with us is because we were talking about whether we were going to review the Chuck Wendig book, and you texted me and said you have to review it, and I responded, "Do you want to review it too?" or something like that, right? And I said, "Was my response totes?" <laughs> I mean, I could go to the record, but I'm guessing totes probably. Yeah, that sounds, sounds about right. Sounds like <laughs> yeah, so that's really all it takes is uh, is someone pushes us, we push back, and then that shit's happening. Boom. We're that easy. All right, I guess um, Aftermath. So Chuck Wendig's Aftermath, that's this week's episode. There's been a lot of, um, I don't even know if controversy is the right word. So there's been some internet trolling of this book. Some negative reviews are believed to maybe be um, all kind of put out there by the same group of people. So I think that hopefully the three of us will be able to um, analyze some of the things that have been said and kind of put our own personal opinions into how accurate some of those statements are. So maybe after the end of this, maybe, and I don't know, maybe we'll do it after we actually rate the book. I have a couple of one-star reviews pulled up. I'll kind of read them, see if we can hit the big points, and uh, and find out if uh, if the internet or the one-star part of the internet is uh, is right about Chuck Wendig's book. Cool. So we're getting into the actual review now. We're going to do this typical book review style. We're going to knock the dust off of our, our process here. So I'm going to read you the author bio that we pulled, I'm guessing, from Amazon. Uh -huh. <clears throat> Chuck Wending is a novelist, screenwriter, and game designer. He's the author of many published novels, including but not limited to Blackbirds, The Blue Blazes, and the YA Heartland series. He is co-writer of the short film Pandemic and the Emmy-nominated digital narrative Collapsus. Wendig has contributed over 2 million words to the game industry. He is also well known for his profane yet practical advice to writers, which he dispenses at his blog, TerribleMinds.com. And through several popular ebook, and through several popular ebooks, including The Kick-Ass Writer, published by Writer's Digest. He currently lives in the forests of Pennsylvania with his wife, his tiny human, he didn't say his tiny human, but that's what I'm saying, and Red Dog. We have had chuck on the the podcast and we reviewed some of his books before so if you go back to episodes 131 132 that's our reviews of blackbirds and mockingbird 133 so bam three episodes in a row 133 was our interview with chuck wendig and then later on 187 is when we reviewed the third book in the miriam black series the cormorant 
I remember Wendig Month. Wendig Month. That's because we he won a, a This Is Horror Award. No, he was second up. He was second and he was second runner up for mm-hmm. uh, This First Is Horror Award. Yep. He was the guy that didn't win, but it was next in line. Whatever you fucking call that. So we threw those people some love because that's that's, right. that's just how uh, that's how we got Josh Mailerman in Bird Box too. I think. I believe so. All right, so um, I listened to our review of, and of course you think listening to it, I'd remember what the fuck that book was called, that other Star Wars book we reviewed <laughs> Heir earlier. Heir to the Jedi. <laughs> Heir to the Jedi. I listened to that um, this morning, but I was at work, so I had to kind of keep pausing it, so it was hard to, to keep, stay in the thread. Um, but I remember there being a really long synopsis, and apparently this is a requirement for all Star Wars um, books, so uh, buckle in, kiddies. The second Death Star has been destroyed, the Emperor killed, and Darth Vader struck down. Devastating blows against the Empire and major victories for the Rebel Alliance, but the battle for freedom is far from over. As the Empire reels from its critical defeats at the Battle of Endor, the Rebel Alliance, now a fledgling New Republic, presses its advantage by hunting down the enemy's scattered forces before they can regroup and retaliate. But above the remote planet Akiva, an ominous show of the enemy's strength is unfolding. Out on a lone reconnaissance mission, pilot Wedge Antilles watches Imperial Star Destroyers gather like birds of prey circling for a kill, but he's taken captive before he can report to the New Republic leaders. Meanwhile, on the planet's surface, former rebel fighter Nora Wexley has returned to her native world, war-weary, ready to reunite with her estranged son and eager to build a new life in some distant place. But when Nora intercepts Wedge Antilles' urgent distress call, she realizes her time as a freedom fighter is not yet over. What she doesn't know is just how close the enemy is or how decisive and dangerous her new mission will be. Determined to preserve the Empire's power, the surviving Imperial elite are converging on Akiva for a top-secret emergency summit to consolidate their forces and rally for a counterstrike. But they haven't reckoned on Nora and her newfound allies, her technical genius son, a Zabrak bounty hunter, and a reprobate... What's that word, Rob? Reprobate. Thanks, Rob. Imperial defector... (laughs) who are prepared to do whatever they must to end the Empire's oppressive reign once and for all. That's the coolest thing I've heard in a long time, Livius, doing Star Wars noises. I knew I probably wasn't going to get you to actually put any music in this episode, and you can't have Star Wars without that. It's just so much work. It's not a lot of work, to be honest. Um... Yeah, that was a fucking gigantic synopsis. That was huge. And um, I would say pretty accurate. Um, Lengthy, but I think it actually covers all of the bases of of this story. Now, I don't know how much of the story, because the story gets fairly complex. There's a ton of characters in it, so I don't know how much we'll do this like we do a regular review where we talk about each and every character, um, because there seem to be more than than normal for a book. Am Mm -hmm. Am I wrong about that, guys? Not necessarily. No, there's definitely a lot of characters because um, I think our our main New Republic group, like the people who are supposed to be the people we're rooting for, is at least five or six people. And then you've got all those um, big Empire people that are meeting, and that's like six or seven people. So, And, and then, then there's like there's fucking that. All the interludes? Is that what you're going to get at? There are the interludes too, which is just a bunch of random shit. Yeah, and, and that random like a, shit. Yeah, that random shit adds a lot. Maybe, maybe a, a lot you don't need. 
Um, you know, all right. So let's so okay. So let's talk story structure then, <laughs> and we can kind of address this because I was thinking that at first, but then then I had some other thoughts. So the story goes um, back and forth. Some of what you heard, we kind of follow Wedge and his um, his his capture on a, on a star destroyer. Nora Wexley getting home. Um, you know, stuff that's going on with her kid. But in between, there are probably you guys ten, maybe a dozen interludes. Yeah, it sounds accurate. Yeah. Um, so for people who aren't familiar with interludes, that's where it goes away from what it normally does and just talks about really random stuff. We're really good at doing that here on Booked. So we actually have interlude episodes specifically for that reason. Um, they seem to be unconnected at their heart with the actual story we're reading. But I do think that there's supposed to be a, a few books that bridge the gap between um, Return of the Jedi and the new movie, Episode 7. Right, three uh, of Right. So I'm thinking that the interludes, because I did a little bit of digging and maybe we're a little early on this. I went through and looked at the character known character list for the new Star Wars movie. I did not see one name that was in this book that wasn't an existing already Star Wars character. So I'm wondering if the interludes through the course of three books are what are going to get us from episode six to episode seven. I mean, if we're going to talk about the interludes, I guess on a... On a basic level, I see them as a way to kind of um, flavor the book with the real life impact of what the Empire was, you know, when when the Empire was at its worst, or the impact on people's lives now that the Empire is falling, like, and all the angst and crazy shit that's going on with people's lives, just kind of like a little bit of seasoning to the overall story. I get I get what he was doing there, and when he did those interludes, it felt a little bit World War Z ish, where it's like you're yeah. seeing this, yeah, you're seeing this group of people over here, uh, you're seeing this group of people over there, but um, you know, it it was just excerpts. I mean, it didn't really add that much that I I, I really needed, so it sort of seemed superfluous. Oh, it was you more, didn't get that at all? It was more tone than plot, for sure, if that's yeah, what you mean. It just, I don't know, it, it didn't really, it sort of took away from the, the main narrative, I felt. Yeah, it was a little jarring. I'm, I'm not going to say it wasn't. I just, I think that, I don't know, in knowing that there's three books, it's kind of like starting a book like like Grey, for example, where yeah. you know there's going to be three books. How much of what's in book one um kind of does service to what's coming up and sets it up. So I will tell you this. Um, this is probably not going to be a spoiler-free episode, I don't think, by the way, kids, if you're listening and you really want to read this, um, we're, we're probably going to give some things away. One of the interludes is that um, Chewbacca and Han are probably on their way to liberate the Wookiees from, I forget what planet they're on, but that they have an opportunity because of a, a, a reduced Empire presence to liberate all of Chewbacca's people. So I am going to take a stab at that is, and may continue in another interlude, another book, but I think episode <laughs> seven, we may see a free Wookiee planet. And that and was that's going the, to be, yeah, that was one of the few I was okay with. I felt like that needed to be in there. And in fact, I wanted, I wanted more of that. And not just because it had Han Solo and, and Chewbacca. Well, no, because specific, it had specifically <laughs> because it had Han and, and Chewie, because I know that they're going to be in this movie, so I feel like them getting FaceTime 
is a, a little bit relevant. Well, yeah, I'll give you that. Um, I, 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 I get what you guys are saying, and I'll be honest, from my perspective, I didn't feel like the interludes interrupted the flow of the story. But at the same time, the story is so all over the place anyway, because stuff takes place on this planet of Akiva. Stuff takes place off-planet with um, uh, people in the New Republic uh, in other places. Like, what's the fucking... It's a trap guy. Admiral Akbar. Akbar. <laughs> There's a lot the of Akbar stuff tra- going on. The fucking... It's a trap guy. <laughs> it's a trap. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I say that because... I don't know if it was just Wendig, you know, having a laugh, but like everything that had to do with Akbar was about trying to not get into another trap. Yeah. Or like it's, moisturizing it's, himself. It, it did come up a lot, the, the, the trap element. <laughs> he was thinking come. about traps. Other people were thinking about he got into a trap. Like anything that had to do with Akbar was all about traps yeah. and moisturizer. And moisturizer. <laughs> well, that guy's, that's a scaly looking motherfucker. He needs a moisturizer. So anyway, the the book was a little large in scope, and, and it was like Livius was saying, jumping from place to place. So I didn't really find the interludes to be like any kind of extra burden, but that could just be me. So that covers interludes. <laughs> overall, I think overall, it's really hard to review this book because there are so many different elements. So. We're talking about it being a transition from, and I'm talking movies here, episode six to episode seven. But then we also have to talk tropes, right? We have to talk about things that are key to the Star Wars universe that happened here. And I think that Wendig, and I'm going to assume, um, as as we talked about um, in previous episodes, you know, he's probably tied into a, a fairly tight script on what needs to happen in this. But then you have the ragtag group of people that are thrown together that are all a little different and they all kind of have their different um, goals of what they're doing and they all wind up fighting the Empire, which sounds really, really reminiscent of Star Wars when you have, <laughs> well, you have Obi-Wan Kenobi and you have Luke Skywalker who need Han and Chewie to get, um, you know, to get to wherever they're going and then they run into Leia and C-3PO and you've got these five or six people, including androids, all fighting for a common cause. And when you really look at this, you have the mother and son, you have um, a, a bounty hunter. You have a former imperial officer, and you have a robot, all fighting the empire. <laughs> that's <laughs> all for different reasons. Well, but you know what? But I think that's important in the transition is that it maintains some of its some of its magic. There are some things in this book that I marked down as discussion points. Which on their surface, when I was looking, I was like, oh, this is kind of this is kind of a negative thing. This is kind of a negative thing. But when I brought myself back into thinking about the Star Wars history, the mythology, the the movies, um, they're all things that exist. So I'll, I'll mention one of them now. We could talk about them like the narrow escapes. There were dozens, maybe maybe I'm exaggerating of narrow escapes. We call so that, that in the industry. We call that action padding. Right. And um, it's when you have your characters narrowly escape. They get captured. They escape. They uh, narrowly get captured. Uh, they get out of it somehow. And it seemed like a lot of this book was action padding. Mm-hmm. A lot. But when you look at the movies, specifically the first three movies, that's the Star Wars universe. 
Yeah, that's how it happens for these people, you know. So again, I thought the same thing. I was like, oh, this seems excessive, and I thought, wait a minute, this is this is what Star Wars is all about: a lot of action, a lot of barely getting out of things. And and it for me, it sits okay. Had this have been a book about just your regular, well, if it was just a regular science fiction book, I wouldn't have read it because let's face it, it would be science fiction. <laughs> um, oh yeah, but, we know how you feel about science fiction. Had this had this been a an un, a non Star Wars really book, I probably would have taken more issue with it. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Let me ask you this though: what what were the most interesting parts to you? Because I I know the ones that I have in mind, and they weren't the fucking action padding. <laughs> Rob, would you like to go first? Yeah, um, I've got a couple ideas on that. There, so. Understanding that this is coming you know, right after Return of the Jedi, right? Which, can I put this in a little bit of context? The fact that we're talking about this. I'm in my late 30s, and I remember as a child being in the theater for Return of the Jedi when I was like five years old. So, Star Wars is fucking. Anyway, I just thought about that. <laughs> <while> I... <laughs> it's crazy. Star Wars dude. is like, a big deal. Star Wars Super. is kind of a big thing. Um,. So this is, you know, this is after Jedi, blah, blah, blah. The Empire is is crumbling, but still an entity. And the re, the rebels are now the new, the new Republic, right? So mm-hmm. the thing to me that I found very interesting about this was the perspective that the um, high-up people in the Empire had to kind of come to grips with about what they are and what they did in history. And... Um, the perspective of the rebels knowing that even though they had a victory, they didn't have the victory. Like those two things didn't come up often, but when they did, I thought they were probably the more powerful parts of the book. And I have quotes to support that that we'll get into in a little bit. I agree with you, Matt. Uh, you know what? When they started talking about the about the force uh, as a religion that's not universally accepted. I really got hooked on that. I also got really hooked on um, Sinjir. Yeah. Is that how you guys are pronouncing it? Yep. Um, when he started talking about his time with the Empire. Yeah. Um, as a loyalty officer, uh, I thought I was I was completely hooked on that. Uh, but those glimpses were just so few and far between um, that it, it, I think it really just hurt it with sort of needless action. And that's where I think we're going to get into the discussion of how much of that needless action was requested by Del Rey. That's kind of the thing. You know what? I, I, can't, I, I don't know how much fault to put on Wendig because obviously you hand a guy a big property like this, there are going to be rules. Yep. And I'm sure that he was micromanaged to death on this. Um, yeah, I, I know I read something to the effect of he wrote it in 45 days, uh, but I can guarantee you that there were more people combing over this thing than any book out there. Sure. It has to be, yeah. Oh, Especially yeah. since it's like an official book that that bridges two movies. Yeah. yeah. No. Uh, there's, there's a ton writing on this. Like, I, w- I would really love it if you guys could get Wendig back on and ask him, okay, dude, like how much say did you really have in this? Because <laughs> I guarantee you it wasn't that much. 
the thought has crossed our minds <laughs> to do that, um, to have him yeah. on. Can we take a step back and set this up for, for some people? I think a lot of the anger um, <laughs> pointed at this book has a little bit to do with um, with Disney, who owns the entire property now. And prior to this book, has wiped it. So Lucas, years ago, said, all right, we're going to do these Star Wars books. We're going to do this continuation stuff, and it's all canon. It all has to exist in this universe, and here are the rules. And I'm sure a similar process went on. Now, this being the most important Star Wars book possibly ever, um, because it bridges six and seven, because... Disney went and said, yeah, you know all that shit with all that's canon? It's not. And they wiped the slate clean. So the people who read the maybe 40, 50 books since um, Lucas allowed books to be written, they're a little angry because they read it like the Bible because it's canon and it was completely wiped out by Disney in one fell swoop. They said, yeah, listen, all that other stuff, you're going to have to pretend that never happened because we have the stories we want to tell. So you know what? that's part of the anger and part of that micromanagement you're talking about, I'm sure, has to do very specifically with we wiped out all of the canon. Everything that uh, happens in this book has to be true because we're creating a whole new canon. How is that any different from like um, when you have Marvel in the uh, the 616 universe <laughs> and then you start something like Ultimate and it turns out really fucking great? Like, no one complained about Ultimate Spider-Man because it was fucking awesome. Which you you guys probably have not read, but I've read it because I'm a fucking nerd. So I think that. that in the comic book universe, that's happened so many times that it's it's more acceptable. And it may become that way 50 years from now in the Star Wars franchise when yeah. it's happened four more times that we just accept you know, alternate universes and and kind of weird shit. And it's star Wars and it's Luke Skywalker, but it takes place 300 years before the star Wars, you know, kind of thing, you know, when it gets to that level, this is the first time. And people have been in this for 30 fucking years living and breathing star Wars. They're getting their cherry popped is what you're saying. Yeah. If if you think about it, no one really ever expected episode seven, right? Like a movie yeah. episode seven to come out, so like oh, oh, I I did I knew I mean if you're gonna make money on something that's the thing to make money on. Okay, but it, really, you really thought it was oh, coming? Yeah. Oh, no, no, oh, th- this is coming. We'll we'll get a whole another round of of Marvel Universe Avengers. Oh sure, that I know that has shit to do with you know Robert Downey Jr. or any of those guys because it's a money maker. But Star Wars, at least my impression, apparently I'm not a fucking, like, elite enough nerd to, to think this way. My impression was, like, the movies were pretty much shut down, more or less, um, after the prequels, which fucking sucked. And so, really, I guess what I'm trying to say is, between Jedi and and now, the only reality that all of these nerds had for the continuation of the story were these books. So, like, that's what they had to cling on to for decades. Yeah. And now... Lucas had originally promised nine films. But, yeah, I think you're right. In some ways, I agree with you that I thought after the, the flops of the whatever episodes one, two, and three that that was never going to come right. to fruition. That, that was it. He had it, it had to be that he sold the entire Star Wars thing. But anyway, so now, in a, in a practical sense, we have a seventh movie that has to, you know that has to be its own story 
and trying to make a seventh movie that incorporates all these fucking books that have happened over the years impossible or at least stupid to even try so it makes sense to wipe all those books out and just say from here to here this is what we have i think it's it's a practical move but it will piss oh, people I totally, off i totally agree with you yeah yes you do <laughs> yes yes <laughs> um don't forget there are cartoons too just want to throw that in there what what there are cartoons there's a yeah, uh, fucking uh what is it Clone called? Wars. Wars. Oh, okay. <laughs> shit all over the Star Wars <laughs> universe in two words. Or one word, I guess. Okay. I'm so oblivious to this Star Wars stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so There are uh, Tron cartoons as well, so let's not even talk about that either. The the canon of Tron. Well, let's not even... I don't even want to talk about Tron. That was one of the coolest video games ever. Daft Punk, man. That's all I got to say about Tron. Best cameo ever. <laughs> um, Livius, you brought that up for a reason, right? Bringing up the the, the angry fans? Yeah. I, I So I think that a lot of the anger is directed at the fact that we had to wipe this out. So they, they have this book. A lot's writing on this book because it's the beginning of the transition. Which, oddly enough, does anybody know? Are these other two books going to be out before Christmas? Because isn't that when Episode Seven comes out, like yeah. December twentieth? They'll be out. I would. Okay. I would well, hmm. it's a short timeline. Yeah. Well, if it's taking Wendig forty-five days to write them, that's not too bad. Oh wait, I don't think Wendig's writing all three of them. Is he? I don't know. I thought no, I heard I that. Just one not... star because he's not. Hey yo. Zing. Oh shit! Shots fired from, um, from Kansas. Let's not, yeah. Let's not forget four weeks in the top twenty New York Times bestseller list last week. I number know, 16. and you know what? Good for him because he's always going to have that. He's always going to be able to be New York Times bestselling author Chuck Wendig. That is fucking awesome. That is fucking awesome. Not very many people have that. That's a I was talking to someone. And I was like, I, I one, you know, someone said, "Oh, I wonder we got paid to do that." And I go, "You know, I'm thinking if they just said, hey, we guarantee you a top ten spot on the New York Times bestseller list,' that would have been payment enough.'" Oh God, any author would agree to that. Any author. <laughs> Did you have other tropes, Livius? So I, I had a couple of things I, I kind of uh, <clears throat> noted from the book that I thought were were actually interesting points. What the hell good are stormtrooper outfits? So, because every blaster just goes right through them, I, I just don't understand. They're clunky, and it is a stormtrooper outfit has never protected a stormtrooper from anything that I've ever seen. A- am I wrong about this? Why did Chuck Wendig not think of this? I, I don't know because well, it seems if he like would have asked, I would have told him. Yeah. yeah. Oh, dude, they they directly. That's one of my quotes. Do you remember the direct like like insult to stormtroopers and how useless they are? Oh no, I know, but I mean, I was thinking about. Yeah, you go ahead. You should actually. Um, you should be a good time if you want to read that quote. Someone was impressed by um, this droid, the droid from the ragtag rebel group, who is this badass fighting machine. And usually, the the type of droid he was is useless. So this person's talking about that droid, um, that type of droid, and then it makes him think of stormtroopers. Here's the quote: "They're the most inept fighting unit in perhaps the history of the galaxy." And trust me, stormtroopers are basically just overturned mop, bu- mop buckets with guns, especially these days. 
Yikes. Part of that might have to do with the fact they have this clunky armor on that doesn't defend them from anything, anything at all. Like you can hit one. There's a part where when someone hits one with like a stick and he like falls over. So I, I don't know. That was a little. Um, that's something that stuck out to me that I guess I never thought about. Also, the fact that meters are the unit of measurement in the galaxy, in, in the, the galaxy, galactic, yeah, thing in the galaxy, the <laughs> metric system. You know that in the world there are three countries that use our system, right? Right, but Rob, if I think that we can figure something out by this now, this is canon. <laughs> Hold on. I re-listened to our episode, and we talked about, you had mentioned, you'd reminded me how it always says a long time ago in a galaxy far, far yeah. away, yep. meaning it was in the past. Yeah. Can we look up and see when the metric system was created? Because <laughs> then we would know how far in the past. Wait, do you think the Empire was founded on the, on the, at the same time the metric system was? Well, it'd have to have been after that if that's the unit of measurement they use, and they don't use, like, quarks or something. If you want to do that research, buddy. Brandon, what do you think on this? Do you, do you think do you think that this is a, a, a key to when this takes place? I think the Sith invented the metric system. It's an evil unit of measure? Yeah. Here's the thing, uh, though. Livius, no one fucking understands it. Livius, your argument, though, is that the story that we were seeing was in the future from when that shit happened. So really, as long as the metric system was made sometime in the past, the Star Wars movies can still just be sometime in the future for us. Right, but the story we're being told says a long time ago, which means if it was indeed invented, it looks like um, 1614, maybe? Yeah. So it means that a long time ago was as little as 370, 380 years ago. But, but I thought you were still saying that this takes place in the future for us. I think it's a, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And I don't know who the authority is on it. <clears throat> My point is when we talked about it, you had said, Hey, it says in the past. And I kind of accepted that. Yeah. Well, it does say it was a long time ago. We're being told this story. Uh-huh. So I don't know. Brandon, future, past, present. It says a long time ago. <laughs> so what are we in a fucking recursive loop? Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, if we're going with a long time ago, this had to take place after the 1600s. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> God, I, I hope that the canon that we're living in is, um, you know, the main timeline so I don't get trolled. There you go. <laughs> um, I did notice that they mentioned birds, bees, and dogs, which was a note beforehand that there were no dogs, but a dog pops up in the last few pages, but there are no cats in outer space. There's also space diapers, so they got that going for them. <laughs> there there is. Would diapers. you like to explain a little bit about that? I mean, they're, they're fucking diapers in space, dude. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I can't even deal. <laughs> How, what is, I'm, seriously, what is, I'm seriously losing my shit right now with the space diapers. The one line in that book that stands out to me is the one about space diapers. Really? That's what stands out to you? That's what stands out to me. Man. Right. I was putting away bounties while you were still in your space diapers. There is that. Now, one of my other notes was um, <laughs> was the use of slang and current earthly sayings. I, there was a really good mix, and every now and then there would be some type of metaphor made that made absolutely no sense to me, which I was like, this is perfect because it's an alien world and, and basically alien people. And this is their, you know, their jargon. But every once in a while, and Rob and I talked about this before, I guess it's got to be almost impossible to not write 
in a way where you're saying things that we're saying currently today. And I wish I would have um, highlighted an example, but I'm sure you guys caught that too, right? I caught that too. There was a ton of uh, metaphors where it's like, she she spun faster than a nebula titty or mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Nebula titties are <laughs> the best titties. That's, oh, God. The they best. spin pretty quick. So firm. It's so thick. Nebula titties. This is fucking insane. This is a little insane. Um, And then the last thing I had on here, and this this is probably in reference to something I mentioned earlier and Rob alluded to. There was some really pointed reviews talking about the gay agenda (laughs) in this book. Yeah. Can can we we address the gay agenda in this book? We can do our best to address the gay agenda. There was exactly five gay. And I believe I'm measuring that correctly with the metric system. Oh, okay. Uh, okay, so so Nora's got a gay sister who is married, and then there was a interlude in which one character had um, two dads, and then we have um, Sinjir, which, uh, spoiler alert, also gay. And it it was not like a like a big thing i mean it just seemed like it was like hey they're gay so there's that and it didn't really take away or add anything to the story it was just like it seemed peppered in for the sake of diversity i'm gonna go ahead and say that like it was almost unnoticeable like yeah. You know, a, lot, a lot of the the gay stuff that's coming up in 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 the controversy about the book is like how he's like shoving the gay agenda down your throat, which is just funny that people are saying that in <laughs> in that context, but it is happening. Um, I was like, the whole Senjir being gay thing was basically like the bounty hunter awkwardly says, "Yeah, we could fuck now," and he's like, "Oh, I'm not into the ladies," and she's like, "Okay," and that's the entire conversation. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 there was a lack of gay fucking. All of the gay <laughs> in this book added up to, I believe, it's five sentences. I, if that 380 if pages or whatever it clocked in at so did you say five pages i'd be surprised if it if it filled no. one page sentences oh sentences Sen- yeah okay yeah. Good. i was like yeah, the sanjir thing is one sentence yep the the and gay ants are like a thing the, right like the, that comes up a lot got gay ants. Somebody, that's like okay okay yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's always somebody's aunt that's gay yeah um because i guess it's hard for to have your mom be gay I mean, stranger things have happened, but yes, it right, does. Yeah, it okay. does complicate. It does raise some some eyebrows. Yeah, and then there was the guy with my two dads, which, quite honestly, I didn't even know if that was gay because I believe that was a completely alien species, wasn't it? Uh, I don't remember that part of it, but you know, fuck it, whatever. I mean, you know what I'm saying so. If, if you we, actually have, if you have, it was a... one. It was one sentence for that. It yep. was uh, my two dads, and then we moved on. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, the gay agenda almost I mean like I was expecting the page like I was expecting to open up this book and the pages to be like pink or something. Like <laughs> the way that the way that people were talking about this book, it's almost and I guess that's a little bit you know, kind of rude to say or whatever, because I don't think that's I don't nec- I don't actually associate, but you know what I'm saying. Um you know what I'm saying. Rob would like to oh, apologize for any statements he made about the color pink. Oh, wow. Rob's pink prefers not to be affiliated with the gay agenda. Um, it, oh, it's just shit. such a non-issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing, 
Are we okay with the gays? Can we move on from the gays? We love the gays. Yeah, Ron, I, well, I, I know we love the gays, but gays. can I make a different point? Yes. All right, here we go. Um, I think that people were talking about there being a liberal agenda too, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking duh. It's a book about <laughs> how like the people that were being oppressed overcame the empire, which is like this totalitarian whatever. Fucking, of course, there's going to be like some liberal talk. But there was a lot more talk of, like, we need to crush these people because we're evil people. I think that there was way more evil crushing talk than there was, you know, happy liberal talk. Because we spent more time with the individual people of the Empire than we did with the the leaders of the New Republic. Yeah, no, I agree. And one of the things, you guys had touched on it before, I think that this book kind of, its shining parts were the politics. And um, Brandon touched on it a little bit with Sanjir, but... The fact that not all people who worked for the Empire were evil people, and I'm sure this had to be covered in some of the other 40 books. I think the three of us have a little bit of limited exposure to this. But the fact that just because you serve the bad people doesn't mean you're the bad person. It's just that that's, that's your lot in life. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, and um, those, were, those were the most interesting parts for yeah. me anyway. I agree wholeheartedly. The problem is, is that I think there's stories there that could be told in the Star Wars universe but I think the general public is clamoring for lightsabers and, and, and whatever, blasters, which is what we got. Under, no action. lightsabers. No lightsabers you know, in this ad- book. Admittedly, I fall into that camp because this kind, this kind of fell into what I call um, agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. territory, which is basically like <laughs> you, you love the universe, you love Iron Man, and you, and you love Thor and, and Black Widow, but you're watching a show that does not have Iron Man, Thor, or Black Widow, and that's kind of what this was. There's there's no Jedi and no Sith and no lightsabers, uh, none of that. You're basically forced to deal with secondary characters, and that's that's a little rough. It it, it can get a little boring. And honestly, guys, like I was bored most of the time with this fucking book, and that may or may not be Wendig's fault. Um, based on the micromanaging and the very tight outline, I'm sure he was forced to follow. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. I have a thought about that. Um, I kind of went into this book expecting none of that. And maybe <laughs> maybe I was just prepared by that fucking Heir to the Jedi book, which, which was, like you were saying before, that padded action or whatever. Yeah. That's what the whole book is. But, so imagine the book you just read... Minus those really kind of cool moments where um, there was like a greater message like that didn't exist in this heir to the Jedi book. So I think when you write a book like this, you're kind of honored and screwed at the same time because you have to you, you're honored because you get to to live in and create a part of this like, you know, historic storyline. But you also, like you're saying, are very shackled to you can only do so much with such characters and you can't introduce or change what goes on with probably any of the main characters. Um, there was the appearance of a lightsaber, though, Livius. Oh, yeah, they're, you're right. Well, they, were, they were selling it. Yeah. They were right. selling <laughs> Darth Vader's lightsaber. So, Allegedly Darth, Va- Darth Vader's lightsaber. Like, lightsaber. So yeah. Can we talk about how cool of a concept that was? That's what I'm saying. That was one of my more favorite, you know, favorite moments in the book, where these kind of weird, creepy people just go to this place where they heard someone's selling a lightsaber, a red lightsaber. So, 
here's what I'm envisioning, you know, more interludes in the next two books that lead up to movies that have, a, you know, as I mentioned before, a free Wookiee planet, perhaps like a whole cult dedicated to the worship of Darth Vader. Yep. You, you know what I mean? So I, I'm wondering how much of the interludes are the actual bridge and that the filling, quite honestly, is the story about a bounty hunter and a former Imperial um, loyalty officer and this kid. And did you guys, I, I don't I, I don't expect Rob to, to know this, but I don't know if you picked up Mr. Bones, the robot. Yeah. He's one of the robots from, um, not him specifically, but his type of robot is from those first three movies, those weird, um, if you look up battle droids. Yeah, yeah no, I, re- I remember them. Yeah, yeah. those kind of goofy looking, but um, yeah, I mean, I- I'm anticipating that, you know, he may be a carry on character because we also have to understand too, is what we're seeing now is literally weeks after the Battle of Endor, after Return of the Jedi. And I have to imagine that they're going to have to bridge 30-ish years. And one of the reasons that you start to write out Han Solo and Luke Skywalker, because they're really fucking old now. And they're, they're going to appear at that age in the new movie. And I don't think we're going to pull any punches where we're trying to, to say it's just, you know, months after Return of the Jedi. This story is going to jump forward 30 years. And at some point, you have to get rid of them because they're going to die. And they're not going to be around for movies 11, 12, and 13, or at least not all of them will be. Oh, Livius, you're such a boner killer. I'm telling He's you. He's murdering man. the boners of the world. Pretty much. But you get what I'm saying. It's so cool that they're able to get as much of the cast, which is basically all of the cast, um, for this movie. But at some point, they have to become, they, they have to become legendary because they're not going to be around for these stories. So the fact that they put them in at all is bridging a gap. But... Uh, I mean, if this goes three movies, if this goes seven, eight, nine, I guarantee you, ten is is launching with, you know, a Luke Skywalker that's like Obi Wan Kenobi age because he's gonna be in his like seventies by the time that happens. I don't know, man. Yoda was like fucking nine hundred years old. Very good point. Well, Yoda is Yoda coming back? Has anybody confirmed that Yoda is gonna be back in this? <laughs> Yoda's dead, dude. Yeah, dead. Oh yeah, Yoda is dead. He had Yoda had yeah. Yoda had the death that I want. I want to be 900 years old, and I want to just disappear, just fade away. That's right, because he showed up in the weird ghost sequence at the end of yeah. Jedi with, uh, spoiler alert, with Darth Vader. <laughs> <laughs> Did you just spoil Return of the Jedi, the movie yeah, that came I, out when I, I was five? Have, well, that's the other people who are like, i got to see these first six movies because the seventh one's coming out. <laughs> so. God damn it. Have we talked um, enough about... This book? Do we have more I to think talk we've about? Talk, I think we've talked enough about this book. Do we want to read any of these Amazon reviews, or have we have we pretty much acknowledged and or addressed? <sighs> no, 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 no. You got to read them. You got to read them. Whoa, whoa, That's why I showed up. Whoa, whoa. Do we have quotes? Am I the only one we that has quotes? quotes? No, we have some quotes. Let's do some quotes. Fucking let's remember. I know it's been the lazy summer of podcasting, but we do quotes before we do Amazon reviews. We have been so all over. It's Brandon's fault. It is yeah, my I abandoned even telling anybody what the story was because the synopsis basically does it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll start with a quote. Please do. So I already did the stormtroopers being mop buckets with guns. I like that one. Um, I just have three other quotes, so I'm going to do one. And one of the great conceits of the book is that these <laughs> these people from the Empire... So the Emperor's dead. Darth Vader's dead. This, the Death Star's gone. So basically you have this gigantic empire with no leadership that's crumbling 
And so the people who are still like somewhat leaders need to figure out what's going on. So they all kind of gather together. And that's kind of the conceit of the book is that this is happening while these rebels are at this planet. And um, they're having this conversation about, you know, the state of things. And uh, what was her name? The um... Ray. Ray. So one of these leaders, one of the, um, I guess she's an admiral, and she commands part of some of the the Star Destroyers and stuff. Uh, I don't know the names of the different ships. I'm not a big enough nerd. Imperial Star Destroyer? I don't know if there's different. She commands the big one, right? I'm right about that. I think it's a Super Star Destroyer. Is that it? Brandon's being really quiet. Super Star Destroyer? They couldn't come up with a better name than that. No, they could not. She commands that It's a Star Destroyer that's like super. What else do you call it? Look, we have a lot of Harvard and Yale graduates on this, and that's that's what they agreed upon. So, I mean, if you don't like it, go fuck yourself. Oh, I think that's the first time someone's told me go fuck myself on my own podcast. It comes out of love. Won't won't be the last, I'm sure. Um, Anyway, so there's this high-level Empire meeting um, just talking about the state of things, and um, Ray is one of these people and she basically has to kind of set people straight on, on history. And actually I'm going to do, I'm going to do two quotes back to back. Uh, so this is a conversation between two people. Uh, one's this fucking evil, heartless, you know, neat, wants as much power as possible guy. And the other is Ray who kind of has common sense. And he's saying in some cases they've literally stolen and subverted some of our probe droids and are using them to spread their lies. And she says, are they really lies or are we the ones lying to ourselves? Which is really cool. Not too long after that, she says, uh, or later in the book, but a similar conversation, she says, this isn't some kind of inspirational story, some scrappy ragtag underdog tale, some pugilistic match where where we're the good-hearted gladiator who brings down the oppressive regime that put him in the arena. They get to have that narrative. We are the ones who built something called a Death Star under the leadership of a decrepit old goblin who believed in the dark side of some ancient insane religion. That's good shit. I agree. I agree that's good shit. I and, also and... agree that, that that's good shit, yes. Then so we also have good, quotes. The good shit seal of approval. Brandon, I believe you have some quotes, yes? But first, go fuck yourself. Oh, thank you, baby. Uh, yeah, I do have uh, I have one more quote because I, I wasted my uh, space diapers quote early. Um, <laughs> this is from uh, Olia, which, uh, if I recall correctly, that is the reporter from one of the interludes or something like that. But um, this is talking about the empire and democracy. So here we go. Uh, They cared nothing for democracy. They valued order above everything else. They wanted to be right so badly that anybody who even hinted at getting it wrong or doing it differently was branded the enemy and thrown into a dark prison somewhere. They destroyed other voices so that only their own remain. That is not us. We will not always get it right. We will never have it perfect. And for some reason that stuck with me. Felt like that was a really good one. That was a good one. I re- I, I regret telling you to fuck yourself. Oh, oh you're sweet. <laughs> um, it, it seems that the theme of these quotes is going to be all 
political and and all the things that we liked about this so in keeping with that wedge thinks that's a lesson we could stand to learn imperials are just like us some of them at least it's easy to label those who serve the galactic empire as pure evil all enemy but truth is a lot of those who do so were either sold a bill of lies or forced to by threat of pain or death already the new republic has seen defectors men and women who have seen a chance for escape for a new life so kind of we were touching on before actually talking about the people and less about the the spaceships i guess yeah. Um, I just have one final one, and this is Sinjir, our now outed character, um, the guy who was part of the Empire, but then finds himself working with the rebels. Um, is like there's this like really introspective, almost like existential moment where he's just thinking about a bunch of bad stuff from the past and how like he participated in being like part of this bad thing, and the quote that I thought would just popped out in the moment was we're all stardust and nothing. So he was having a sad sad little moment. Uh, I got one more that I found. Uh, The TIE fighter descended onto the planet Akiva and shot Wedge and Tilly's right in the tits. (laughs) Right in the tits. We're pretty I honestly sure. Don't that's... remember that that line. Well, you know what? That's hap- that's what happens when you skim, Rob. <laughs> I have but been, it's in. I have been known to skim. I have been known to skim. I sure did not make that up just now. <laughs> it's in. There. No, read the book again. It's in there. Thank you. Thank you for that quote. No problem. Thank I, Chuck I have... Wendick. I mean, he wrote it, not me. <laughs> I did not. Write that just now in, in my mind. Um, I, I have I have a couple I have a couple more more quotes. Wow, go for it! Awesome. I thought you were done. <laughs> actual quotes from the actual book. Um, everything means something, but not every something matters, which I thought was pretty good. I don't even need to put that in context. That's just genius um, thinking right there. Um, this other one, I'm just gonna go with one more because I thought this was just. Fucking well, actually two more. The Jawas, which might be some of the more interesting characters in the Star Wars universe. Um, there's an interlude where where a character goes to Jawas to try to buy some equipment. And suddenly he's forced to wonder if each Jawa is just a fraternity of wet rats gathering together under brown robes and a black face veil, which is a great way. Rob, do you know what the Jawas are? Yeah, they're the ones that were selling the droids to fucking... That's um, right. Yeah, and that big, weird, rolling garbage can thing. Right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. And then another one. I'm not even going to qualify this one. He just says, and they follow a pair of the little hooded weirdos to another door. Little hooded weirdos is how he describes the Jawas, which I think is perfect. Now, I'm no expert, but I have to imagine that Brandon has spent a lot of his life following little hooded weirdos. Totes. <laughs> Totes. Love it. Who wants Guys, to do a wrap-up first? Uh, you think they'll s- still say totes in the future? Well, like in there Star is that Wars? part. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go because this is in the past. So <laughs> I will go to this, which I marked as a quote because it really kind of stood out a little bit um, in its uh, dialogue. Oh, thankfully, it's she who spoke, not the skeleton, because dot, 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 gross. <laughs> I remember that. 
That was a weird little unnecessary part, but I liked it. Um, Rob, Brandon, which one of you would like to go first on this wrap up? I'm gonna let Brandon. Oh, oh, you want me to do it? I don't. I you can. Okay, I can do it. If you're well, feeling gun shy, I, I can go. No, I'm not feeling gun shy at all. Um, okay, so as I said before. Uh, Aftermath has what I like to call Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Syndrome where where basically you want one thing, you come into it expecting a certain thing and and you really don't get it. Um, You're you're getting a a group of ragtag characters that you just don't seem to care about as much as the original cast of characters. There's a lot of action padding I really can't blame Chuck Wendig for all of this because, as I said before, he's probably working within a tight micromanage outline that he really has no control over. Um, But at the end of the day, um, it really didn't work for me. There was a lot of action padding, a lot of, you know, close calls, a lot of... um, we're just kind of putting our characters in the, in, in this situation to get caught, not get caught, escape, uh, narrowly get out of danger. It really dragged. And there were only just these brief glimpses of me sort of getting into it when they talked about the force as a religion or you got more background on Sloan. Um, this was a hard book to read. I mean, this is basically a Star Wars book where you're not getting any Jedi, any Sith, and the only lightsaber that you see is not being used but being sold on the fucking secondary market. Um, I'm going to go ahead and give it two stars. And it's really not a two stars against Wendig. It's more a two stars against whatever fucking outline they handed him. There it is. There it is. Would you like to go next? Yeah. All right. So I can't say that I can really disagree with a lot of the points that Brandon made. It's true. Like what makes this the strength of this book? I'm not going to say what makes this book strong, but the strength of this book is in setting the tone for what happens after the fall of the empire. So what we're supposed to take away from this is the Empire truly is damaged, but it's not gone. The New Republic has a burden to not just become the Empire and to stand out by being good to people and, you know, taking the galaxy in a new direction. We're supposed to take away that individual people and their whole lives have been affected by this vast political, this war you know, war. They are, it's a, it's a post-war era where people are suddenly finding themselves free or, um, feeling the loss of, of losing people because of the war. So really it's a book, it's a book that sets a tone for what's to come. Um, looking at the individual characters, even the main characters of the book, there's really, I don't even think we're supposed to like them or not. I mean, I'm of course supposed to like them, but, 
I don't think we're supposed to become attached to them. I think that they are kind of a tool to get us moving in a specific direction. So looking at it from that perspective, that's the perspective I gave myself kind of as I read the book, understanding that there is not going to be, you know, the Millennium Falcon flying all over the place and people fighting with lightsabers and all that shit. Um, It's a book that has a purpose. And in the context of that purpose, I think it's a great book. I think that um, Wendig did a great job of actually weaving his own style and um, a, a kind of a greater message into what typically would be like a fluff kind of book. But at the end of the day, it does have a lot of that fluff to it. So if anybody else had written this or if lots of other people had written this, I don't think we would have gotten those nice moments that we liked. So for me, I didn't find it to be not a good book, but I didn't find it to be a Chuck Wendig book. And in that spirit, I'm going to go three stars. Both of you have made some um, very, very valid points that echo a lot of what I was thinking. I was really trying to discern if I was distracted when I started reading this book, (laughs) if I was just out of practice reading from the lazy summer podcasting. Um, And um, what I found was that I had a hard time getting into it and multiple characters and these storylines I didn't really see converging. Um, But it didn't take me too long to get into the rhythm. So it probably took me 50, 75 pages to to where I could actually be attached to what's going on in the story. So um, I think that, so to Brandon's point, hard to get into. It would have been nice to see more of Han seeing Luke at all or, or anybody from those books with the, you know, we mentioned they were mentioned in interludes. We got Wedge Antilles, which was kind of cool, and Admiral Ackbar <laughs> and his trap situations throughout, spread throughout. So there was that nice little tie-in. <laughs> um, Rob's right. I mean, I viewed this as a transition book. Um, I, I see. I would have liked to have seen a more of a a better handoff from the old characters to the new. I think so. Kind of the Agents of Shield theory, as as Brandon put it, as I'm sure the rest of the world will refer to things in the future when this happens. Um, now that Brandon Teets has coined the phrase, um, uh, overall, some of the stuff that was in there is just brilliant. I mean, the political stuff is great. The, the interpersonal things are great. Um, I got, what's his name? Um, Sanjir, Sanjir, um, a great character. Here's an Imperial officer who's supposed to be the worst person ever. And he just kind of goes with the flow of what's going best. He's, he's the modern day Han Solo in this book where he, he goes, where, where the, where the weather is nicest. Um, and that can be with the rebels that can be with the, with the Imperials, what, whatever works for him. But then he finds a cause and he finds these people. And it reminds me a lot of star Wars, which I loved. So I think that, um, there are some tropes in, in, in play there that, uh, may have been, um, given to Wendig. Like it has to be five people. They have to be five unimportant people in the scope of everything, but we kind of want to get that star Wars feel, the narrow escapes and everything else. Um, had this Rob said, if it was a book by somebody else, he might not have liked it as much. I think that if this was just a book that was not taking place in a transitional star Wars universe, I would have liked it less than I did, but understanding the fact that it needed to serve a purpose. And I think Rob really summed it up for me when he said that, I think that's where I was trying to having a hard time putting it into words. Um, this book served needed to serve a purpose. And I think, I think being the first of three, um, that it's on the right path to doing that. Um, I, I'm going to go probably a little bit better than Rob, but I'm going to go three and a half stars on it. 
based heavily on the second half of the book. First half of the book, I wasn't. Yeah, that, that is a lot higher than I thought you'd go. <laughs> like I said, I mean, when I when I think about the things that I really liked about it, um, you know, I can get past the narrow escapes and the, you know, I was watching. We were just talking about this. Oh, Hannibal, the final season of Hannibal. Yeah. If you watch it all at once, there are way too many escapes, <laughs> you know, but I don't know. All in all, like I said, I think that it was written in the in the the heart of Star Wars and a difficult task transition. I mean, here's here's how this would have played better for for all of us, for everybody. If they would have said, listen, forget all the shit from Star Wars. This is all new stories. This is what happens afterwards. And if they just flat out would have told us, listen, forget about Han and Chewie, forget about Leia and Luke, forget about, you know, the, the fucking Ewoks and Yoda and all them this takes place in that universe, we probably would have felt better about this. I think that in some cases, us, we, Brandon, you and I, probably more specifically, and a ton of reviewers, felt really slighted at it not picking up with, you know, the characters we know on the Millennium Falcon on their way to do something else really cool. So, I don't know. No, I I, uh, I agree with you. Um, and in all honesty, I'm a, I'm a pretty fucking casual Star Wars fan. Very casual. Um, but something like this, I don't know. I think it's one of those things where it's like, you know, it's a setup to the bridge, and we haven't seen the whole bridge yet. But what I've seen so far, not a fan of. That's kind of where I'm at. And that's fair. I'll be honest with you. The, the, the trailer, as excited as I was, I was only excited for Episode 7 every time they, they showed someone I knew. Yeah. I gotta say, I'm I'm excited to see how this culty shit works out because, in addition to those weirdos buying the lightsaber, there was like one of um one of the the main imperial, <laughs> the main empire people was um one of the emperor's like uh like fucking assistants or whatever mm-hmm. his intern like he was like an emperor intern or something like that <laughs> yeah, the unpaid intern yeah the advisor to the emperor. <laughs> And that guy was like, A, he was creepy as shit. B, he was super evil. And C, like, he was like in reverence of the dark side. Like, that was his whole fucking life. And in a way that I thought was really, really interesting. So I don't know. I think I think that there's such potential to make a creepy story out of out of some of this stuff. The the one thing that I've always wanted ever since I saw episode two was um, a Sith Lord that is the same species as Yoda, but like fucking evil. <laughs> oh, so it'd be us. Uh, so it'd be like Yoda, but he'd have to he'd have to talk like the guy at the Chinese food place. Yes, he'd be like fucking dark. He, he would be what? dark, dark Chinese restaurant. Yoda is what I've always wanted how does talking like the Chinese restaurant person make you evil? Like, Brandon don't understands. Just, just go yeah. with it, man. Just That's go right. with it. I need. No. <laughs> All right, I guess Look, I have. To I did just... some research. We have a very, very small following in Asian countries. It's cool. <laughs> Look, just calm your tits and just sell yourself on the idea of evil Chinese restaurant yoga. I mean, I'm fucking sold. That sounds amazing. But I just thought I know, might right? Be... I just came up with it. <laughs> I thought there might be something more, more explanation there, but that's fine. I'll, I'll take your, I'll take your word okay. for it. Okay. Can we quickly 
um, address a couple other things that have been coming up while you guys were wrapping up. I was kind of reading through some more reviews. Um, writing. Yes. Did you guys have any issue with the writing? I, I mean, I'm talking line by line writing in this. I did. Uh, um, it was YA. And I fucking hate YA. So there's that. So Sorry. explain YA. Dig into YA a little bit. First of all, it stands for young adult. Yes. Um, well, I've read Blackbirds by Wendig. Fucking loved it. One of my favorite books of the year. And then he writes this and he's relegated to YA, a style in which anyone can digest. Um, basically all ages can swallow it. And it just, it really didn't work for me. So um, Stylistically, is it like easy, easy to read words, short sentences, that type of thing, or? Yeah. Also, too, it, it seemed like I, I don't know if you guys picked up on this or not, but it, it just seemed not very Wendig. You know what I'm saying when I say that? It just seemed like he was sort of hamming it up for the YA audience. It's a YA franchise. I mean. It's what it was designed by Disney, man. Of course, they're gonna yeah. try to appeal yeah, to that audience. It's my first Star Wars novel, so I don't, I don't know any of this shit. So, I mean, if that's <laughs> how it is, then I'm not a fan. I'm gonna read um, from Amazon customer is the 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 review here. Um, Wendig paid per colon. Actual complete sentences in this book colon very few. A lot of people are talking about a really, really choppy and short writing style. This has to be the fifth or sixth person I've seen that mentions sentence structure or grammar as one of the things that they didn't like about this book. It was choppy. See, I didn't. Maybe this is all I ever fucking read anymore. I had zero, zero issues with line to line writing. In the beginning, I think that was more pronounced, but as the book goes on. I didn't really think it was consistent throughout the book. I I know at the beginning it was like, um, ducked around a corner, they ran by, like really quick kind of short sentences like that, short thoughts. Is that kind of what you're talking about? Like, I'm easy. assuming that's what the what the reviews are talking about. But yeah, I like I said, I don't, I, I didn't get that, so I'm going to assume that that's what what they're or like hyphenated sentences, like that at like the second half of the sentence adds you know, kind of unrelated information, like that type of stuff. There was a lot more, like, I think general writing no-nos toward the beginning. Yeah, but you know what, guys? When you're writing action, I mean, quick sentences are your crutch. I mean, that's how you kind of move the eye along, is quick sentences. Yeah. So I can, I know why he's doing it. It's it's a just a general tactic. And it, I, I don't think it served the book poorly, though. I think that, I mean... I didn't, I didn't. I mean, if you're doing action, that's the way to go. You know, you do quick sentences, you do fucking M dashes. I mean, yeah, exactly. You know, that's I just how it is. I don't read a fucking Star Wars book expecting, you know, really elaborate passages, right? Literary, yeah, shit. No, yeah. So I mean, sure that criticism may be accurate, but it's it's kind of, you know, I don't know. Pointless. Here's 
Randall Daniel chiming in with the author needs to quit whining, which he wrote after, um, uh, clearly he wrote after um, Wendig's kind of... The blowback, blowback. Yep. So um, here's one of his points. The writing style is just too jarring for me. The present tense prose bothers me, although I can get past that, but the endless sentence fragments, inconsistent name spellings, mixed and or unclear perspectives are what's killing it for me if there's an enjoyable story in here. I'm having trouble finding it under all this crap. It reads like a series of blurbs versus an actual narrative. Look, Livius, I'm going to stop you right there. I know this uh, Randall Daniel guy, and he lost a testicle in a putt-putt golf accident. So let's not dwell on him too much. <laughs> so he's just bitter about his nut tobacco? Yes. All right. No. Yeah, we all know it. Let's move I, on. Um, I would like to say that the best part of Amazon reviews is when you see the other things a person has reviewed. So, oh, Randall, about... <laughs> we're sorry about your text, your texticle. That's the ball. Yes. That's the ball you use to send messages. A texticle. <laughs> um, he reviewed a show called Point of Honor that I've never heard of. Gave four stars. Uh, four stars oh, okay. to love. Actually, the movie. <laughs> Come on, seriously? Clive uh, Davis, the soundtrack of my life, one star, uh, and it says, what a joke this old man is, spreading lies about artists and conveniently leaving out where he was a total ass. <coughs> um, he reviewed a Star Wars book called Obi-Wan. Oh, never mind. This is a video game called Obi-Wan. Four stars. He did give five stars to Thankful by Kelly Clarkson, though. <laughs> so, I mean, who wouldn't? That being said, even though I was a fan of Kelly's on American Idol, I was a bit skeptical and worried about her debut after listening to A Moment Like This and Before Your Love. But this album is, in my honest opinion, the best album released this year. It has something for everyone, from rock to R&B, and her voice handles the changes of style like only a true and talented professional can do. I'm not going to go on, but... You you sound like a... You you remind me of Patrick Bateman right now. I can't deal... Oh, that's the serial killer, right? Yeah, yeah. but you know, when he's talking about Whitney Houston, <laughs> that's a good point. I thought of that. So, um, so there you go. That's um, but yeah, Do you I like didn't. Huey Lewis in the news. I fucking love Huey Lewis in the news. Let's yeah. talk about Huey Lewis in the news for twenty six more minutes. Um, at any rate, so yeah, that's some of the things. So I think we addressed the gay agenda is non-existent. Um, the writing um, maybe a little choppier than some people would like. I personally didn't notice it, but I'm starting to think that maybe that's all I read anymore, and that all makes sense. But it's me. in Just... service in the style of the book, so it's not like it's out of place. Yeah. No, no. I like I said, it didn't it didn't bother me at all. But that's that's what I was kind of um, I was expecting you guys to be like I don't know what that guy's talking about. Anyway, all in all, um, it, it, all right. So show of hands. Who's going to read the next Star Wars book? I'm I'm not. I'm out. Rob? I mean, if Chuck Wendig writes it, I would consider it. Yeah, I'm probably in that same boat. I, I think I, I almost want to see yeah. if and where the interludes head, if nothing else. Um, so that's uh, we're going to put the cap on Star Wars. Maybe, maybe Wendig will come on and talk to us about some of this stuff, you think? Maybe? I don't know. I think we can get Chuck on. It would be great if you could get him on and find out, like, okay, how much of this is actually you? I have to imagine that's got to be a hard question to answer. I'm really surprised that now the way I picture this, and and maybe we're wrong, because I picture that there would be some kind of moratorium on him even addressing some of this stuff publicly. 
that they would be written into his contract that you don't talk about Star Wars. Like yeah, you wrote no the peek behind the curtain. It. it is a Disney so, property now, and they they like to they like people to be on stage. Well, but that's but my point is that you know he's come out and, and openly kind of um, like well, what did you call it earlier the the damn it. Rob, the, the backlash of the backlash? The, yeah, that's what I called it. Yeah. You know, I, I was surprised to even see that, and I figured that there would be a you don't address people about this. Like, this is a story we've approved it, and you're done. So we'll see. I, I, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know how much is him. I have to imagine, and I've said this for a long time, and I've said this about other properties too, that you probably have to write under some pretty specific guidelines. So how much of that he would be able to admit to? I don't know. Maybe we'll find out. Maybe well, we won't. Here's the thing. Regardless, he put his stamp on it, and he's defending it, so he's got to be satisfied with the finished product, and I don't blame him. Like, Blame him one bit, man. Go for it. All right. Uh, moving on to some other things. Brandon, you are writing the bridging novel in the Twilight series. Can you talk a little <laughs> bit about that? Well, you know, it's been rough. I mean, when a big property like Twilight lands right on tits. It's a lot of responsibility. A, you know, Chuck Wendig knows this. I know this now. Um, but I am prepared to take these characters to the next generation. Um, hasn't been easy. There's a lot of cold vampire boners. Uh, there's a lot of shittily written romance. But, um, you know, I'm under contract. All my outlines are being handed to me. So it's been pretty easy. What we really want to know is um, how far down Rob's throat are you going to push the cross-species agenda? Yeah. Uh, about 14 inches. Yeah, I was going to say, Rob I, can only take about a foot from what I hear. I don't know. <laughs> I've Where seen Rob that? eat potato skins, so I know he can take it. Have you actually seen me eat potato skins? No, I seen you eat. I can't remember. We were at that German restaurant, and I I don't even remember what you're putting back. Maybe sausage, which <laughs> now I'm saying it sounds horrible. I'm pretty sure we were all on the sausage at that place. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we were. <laughs> I have all right, I've got nothing, um, man. Brandon. You have yes. a book in the works, and I saw you post on social media just earlier today. You were 90,000 words in. Is that is that accurate? Yeah. Is that a lot? Not for me. I love long books. So I, I do know that for some of our crowd, anything over like 200 pages starts to, starts to become excessive. But are you able to talk a little bit about that story? Uh, yeah. You know what? It's a, it's a complete uh, total top to bottom rewrite of uh, out of touch my first novel um basically what happened is um you know i released out of touch and then not even a year later um the person in charge of the publishing house was like that's it I i'm done i can't do this anymore uh due to health issues so basically this book has just sort of been sitting out there and if I sell the copy on Amazon, I honestly have no fucking idea where the money goes. doesn't go to me. Um, so I'm rewriting it top to bottom. Um, basically, the uh, elevator pitch, as it were, is uh, a young American male is trained to be a terrorist uh, via an iPhone app on his phone. 
consisting of 366 items. So yeah, I'm about 90k in. Um, probably got about 30,000 words to go. Uh, I've got some fucking great beta readers lined up. I've got some agents lined up who are interested. So that's kind of, kind of where I'm at right now. How does one get added to the beta reader list for this? Uh, well, basically, I mean, you just got to ask. Okay, we'll keep that in mind. All right. <laughs> um, I, uh, I, God, I don't know. What was the original? Do you know what the original word count was for Out of Touch, roughly? I think it was closer to 70. Oh, so you so you're expanding. I mean, I'm sure there's a there's going to be an editing process you're probably going to go through when you're done. But so, so yeah. it's the expansion of the original. That's pretty cool. And the other thing too is I'm I'm tying it in with uh, good sex, great prayers. So it's uh, sort of a expanded universe. I um, you caught me a little off guard there. <laughs> I'm thinking like, all right, man, there's going to be some witches and shit in this one. But I'm thinking that that's probably not. This does take place, I'm, I'm assuming. Is there any supernatural element? Are you able to talk no, about no, it? No, no, okay. no, uh, more like a cameo. Uh, yeah. As big of cameos you guys are going to have. Oh, see? And that's how you grease the palms over at Booked. <laughs> that's <laughs> good at my job. Yeah, anytime we're, dude, we're stoked when we get mentioned in the acknowledgements, but if we end up being a character in the book, I don't even know what to say about that. Uh, Rob is in right now, then I'm uh, I'm trying to find out where Livius is going to work in there, maybe like a fucking DJ or something, he's just vaping in the booth. <laughs> dude, it's tough, have you ever vaped in a really small enclosed space? Like, you can't see shit after a few minutes. Like, every day. Yep. yep. That's, that's exactly <laughs> it, so... Um, Rob, what do we have? What else do we have going on? Um, are we going to talk about, are we going to promote ourselves? Are we going to talk about Patreon and stuff? Oh, Hey, how about the new look for our website? We could talk about that. There is an extremely sexy new look for, um, for our website. So Rob has been hard at work because, uh, astute listeners will note that I wouldn't know how to fucking do this. If my life depended on it. Um, we have uh, purchased and have implemented a new, a new look. What there's a word. What are these things called? Um, in the in the nerd world, we call it a theme. <laughs> yes, there is a new theme. A theme and a framework. So it wasn't just a theme. It's also got a framework. I'm gonna warn you when you initially click on on uh, or when you go to bookpodcast.com or click a link. It's gonna be much brighter at the top of the page <laughs> than you've ever expected it to be. Um, but as you scroll down, I think that Rob was able to keep. Um, a little bit of the classic book to look to. So well, right. Our darkness. We wonderful the, job with this. Put the important stuff front and center. There's a nice Patreon link at the top of the website. Um, Chris, remember Chris? Who? Um, oh, I remember Chris. Yeah, Chris, uh, who does uh, contribute to our Patreon, was asking for a search field. So one of the first things I did was make sure that Toward the top right side of the website, there is a black box that says search this website. And it actually does search the website. It's not just like a trick that I, I was pulling. But <laughs> now that I say that, I should maybe just do that. You should totally do that. Edit this out. Just make it not work. <laughs> um, um, we may hear from Chris in the near future. But probably not this episode, right? No, no. This episode's probably gone on longer than um, than, than we normally care for episodes to go on. Yeah. Um, um, one of the focuses of the website before I know Livius was about to start something 
started saying something different, is um, it should make it easier to play the episodes without going into the individual like uh, episode posts um, to download stuff or to share it. So a little bit more user-friendly with the audio part of the episodes. And um, I'm going to work on making it so that you can get to themed content easier. There is a popular authors on booked section toward the top right now that's got some of the more frequent visitors to the podcast. And um, that will switch up every now and then. I think maybe we'll throw some themes of different types of episodes up there. Um, We had some wonderful people make recommendations to us, and I forgot them all. So... Right now, it's just authors. Who recommended that we be shareable to Pinterest? Do you think we're on Pinterest at all anywhere? I think you guys are. <laughs> we're on Brandon Teets Pinterest. So. I don't use Pinterest, but I, I know for sure that you have got to be out there. We've been pinned. Amazing. I actually had to. Here's how bad I am at the internet. I'm like, all right, Facebook, Twitter, Twitter, because it's a T. I don't know why Twitter's on there twice. I recognize the Reddit. Uh, Pinterest, Google Plus, in. I don't know what that is. And that last one, no idea. Uh, Tumblr is the second. The second. I know. I figured uh, it out. But I had to get, I was like, I literally thought, why is Twitter on here twice? <laughs> but I had to get probably to the Google Plus to go, that must be Tumblr. LinkedIn so. and StumbleUpon. Stumble what the upon? hell is a StumbleUpon? StumbleUpon. That's like a broke-ass Tumblr. Broke-ass oh. Tumblr. It looks like a kind of a broke-ass Tumblr, that little... Can I tell you I like people who use Tumblr? <laughs> Tumblr people are funny. They're okay. really funny. I'm just throwing it out there. I don't use Tumblr, but on Imager, <laughs> I see a lot of like the top posts of Tumblr, and they're always the best. That and black people Twitter. Those are the two best things on the internet right now. <laughs> Brandon, any thoughts? Uh, my thoughts are I have to check out this black people Twitter because <laughs> this is the first I'm hearing of it. So oh, it's um, I get I, I use the imager to kind of aggregate all the best stuff of the internet because people create screenshot that. But there's a Reddit called Black People Tumblr, which mm-hmm. may have started with black people. Black people Tumblr black or Twitter. People, black people Twitter may have started with black people using Twitter. I'm not so sure that's the case anymore. But I will tell you, if you go to that subreddit, we'll see you in like three weeks. You will not come out of it for days. It is massively entertaining. After Livius introduced is, me to it, it was like. Six hours later, I fell out the other side of it. You gotta, you gotta send me a link. I gotta check this out, man. So, um, so any rate, yeah, share us on Pinterest (laughs) and LinkedIn, which isn't LinkedIn like a professional, like I need a job type website. Okay, Mm -hmm. all right. LinkedIn is career builder meets MySpace. Dude, LinkedIn, my LinkedIn is pretty nice looking. I, I, I work, I spend some time on that. Just gonna say, I'm just saying. Do you need me to uh, endorse any of your skills? Um, yeah. Podcasting. <laughs> yeah, all yeah, of them. I do. Yeah, thanks. I always get I get endorsed for um, social media is my first is my number one skill. Surprisingly, not podcasting at all. So uh, I'll endorse that one. Thank you. Beautiful. Um, gentlemen, anything else uh, before we wrap? Oh, sign up for the newsletter. Yeah, there's a I... nice, easy link on the website in the new look on the website. Um, the sidebar on the right-hand side, picture of the book, and then underneath it, it says sign up for our newsletter and get the book to anthology for free. For free. And what story is featured this week in the book to anthology that we're going to mention? Um, <laughs> Just pick one. 
<laughs> I would go. Um, oh, so we can't talk about the Venturini story because we talked about that all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Right. How about can we talk about how Brandon didn't have a story in the book anthology? Well, here's the thing I was thinking. <laughs> we weren't really the... we weren't really talking at the time. No, we weren't. He was not eligible. I know. That's the thing. That's so. Yep. That's why he's pushing us to do a book anthology too. Well, and here's what I think. If there are enough people following for the newsletter, it would make a strong argument that those people read the book and we get good feedback on the first book anthology that there would be a second book anthology. Oh, so you're putting it on people. Oh, I see what you did there. Yeah. Guys, I mean, guys, 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 you could call it book two electric boogaloo. That won't happen. Um, the no. story I'd like to talk about since it's October, though, The Mulligan by Joshua Allen Deach. Joshua Allen Deach, long, long time friend of this podcast. And I'll, I'll be honest, one of the cooler people I've met because of it. Um, a great story um, in a great anthology. You can read his story for free just by submitting your email address. And you can get this in Moby, EPUB, or PDF. Yeah, apparently that's, that's all possible. It's all possible right through here. And it's absolutely free. Um, that being said, um, I don't know that the book anthology two is going to be the next thing that we talk <laughs> about here on the podcast, but I'm pretty sure um, we've settled, right? William Gay, Little Sister Death, is that what it's called? Little Sister, yeah, yep. That's William going Gay. to be our next review. Um, come back approximately seven days from now. Um, Less and than then, that, because we're. Oh no, yeah, you're right. Sorry. And then I'm going to slightly tease the following episode. The following episode, we will be reviewing a book by an author who we have reviewed here in the past. Um, it was a short story collection. That's all I'm going to say about that. But we will have another special guest reviewer. The reason I don't mention the name is I just want to make sure that it all goes down um, the way it's supposed to, since this person may be somewhere where accessing the Internet's a little sketchy. So um, that's all I'm <laughs> so going to say. vague booking accomplished. Totally. I'm really excited about the next couple of episodes. I'm actually excited to read about William Gay. Um uh, or to read from William Gay, I've heard great things. I have never read anything of his, um, so it's going to be an exciting first for me. I don't believe you've read any William Gay either, Rob. I have not. Brandon, are you familiar? I have not read any William Gay. So okay. uh, posthumously, this was published, right? Because he's been dead for a few years now. If I'm... He he died, yeah, within the last year or two. Yeah, but so heavily revered amongst our normal kind of group of people. So. So um, Dezank put out Little Sister Death just a week ago, I think. Mm-hmm. It's only been yeah, like a week or so. So we're, we're pretty fresh on this one. Um, looking forward to doing that. Looking forward to reading uh, the next book we're reading. And then um, it's probably going to be like a Halloween spectacular, I think. So I think that's the next three episodes. Look, we've got a plan. We have things to do. This is so exciting. It's fucking amazing. Love it. Amazing. So it's astounding. So, Brandon. Thank you so yes, much for, for joining us and uh, agreeing to review this book with us. It was very nice of you. God, I have such a good time with you guys. I wish I could do it more often. It's always a pleasure, and we may make that happen for you. You never know. Yeah, if, if <laughs> history... Star Wars book. <laughs> yeah, not a Star Wars book. If history no. tells you anything, is that when someone says they'll do something for us, we milk that for literally everything that we can get out of yeah. it. Yeah, I've noticed that. Pretty, pretty much. So, um, <laughs> Brandon, get back... Yeah. Get back to rewriting. Rob, get to editing. I have video games I need to go play. So uh, without further ado, until next time, I'm Livia Snedden. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Brandon Teets. Keep reading. <laughs>